Welcome back to the Manchester Weekly from the Mill with me, Molly Simpson, and our star intern at the Mill, Shika Tawa. Shika, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the podcast. Um, today, we are talking about a great investigation that Shika has done looking at a number of Afghan refugee households who have recently become homeless in Manchester. Um, first of all, we have to give a big thanks to this week's sponsor of the podcast, and that is Brisk. They're a great local independent broadband provider whose engineers are currently working hard installing Wi-Fi connections across the south of Greater Manchester to help upgrade everyone's broadband and future-proof the city region's digital infrastructure. Um, if we have any listeners to the podcast who are from Stockport, Didsbury, Withington, the Heatons, anywhere in that neck of the woods, you can switch to lightning fast Wi-Fi with Brisk, with prices starting at £25 a month. Um, Brisk CEO Giorgio Levino told us we can't wait for residents and businesses to experience one gigabit full fiber broadband into their home, a major upgrade from their existing copper-based broadband services. So if you're in the south of Greater Manchester and super fast, efficient Wi-Fi at reasonable prices, sounds like something that you might be into, um, please go to Brisk's website. We're going to drop the link to to the website in the description of this episode, or you can give them a call on 033-008-86947. So let me say to anyone to whom we've made commitments and who is currently in Afghanistan, we are working urgently with our friends in the region to secure safe passage, and as soon as routes are available, we will do everything possible to help you to reach safety. So that was the former Prime Minister Boris Johnson speaking in the House of Commons in September two years ago. He was announcing the launch of the Afghan Relocation and Assistance Policy. This was a government scheme that promised to help vulnerable refugees fleeing Afghanistan and help them find safe accommodation in the UK. Kushba Ali was one of those refugees fleeing Afghanistan. She's now 35 and comes from a village in Afghanistan called Busawa. She fled Afghanistan two years ago after the Taliban seized control of the country leaving her husband Rashid and her family behind. She spent her first two years living with other ref- Afghan refugees in hotels in Salford and Manchester, waiting to, to be dispersed into proper housing. But now she finds herself homeless and she's not alone. Shekha, you've been reporting on this story for about a month now, doing some really fascinating interviews and looking into how this has come about in the first place. Let's start at the beginning. Can you tell us how you first came across Kushba? So, uh, right. So, I was working on an article before this on similar lines about Afghan refugees, and I got to know there that someone wanted to move towards the Kadimal. They didn't want to be away from the city. They didn't want to be away from the rest of Manchester. They wanted to be closer to the Kadimal. So, I started following that idea, mm-hmm. and once I realized that uh, Afghan refugees are being asked to move out, I realized that some people might be not able to be housed anymore so they had to move at that point i started talking to some people from certain charities some uh refugees that i've spoken to before some uh local groups that that were working with the refugees or to fundraise for the refugees Mm -hmm. and someone pointed me towards a woman who sits outside this restaurant in karimau and it's an afghan restaurant called the afghan cuisine you can see here she sits she sits right as the gates open and so she's just sitting there, not even asking for food. Sometimes she's just given food. She talks to people in her language, which is a mix of Pashto and Urdu, and which is how I was able to talk to her because I can understand a little bit of Urdu and so we could converse easily. So initially when I walked 
up to her and I was like, hey, how you doing? Because you don't want to walk up to someone and be like, are you a refugee? I'm looking for a refugee. But uh, no, so I just walked up to her nicely and just asked her about today. And then she started sort of talking to me about how she was tired of standing, sitting outside this restaurant and she had a back up against a dustbin, which I assume no one really wants to be in a position where anyone has that backs up against a dustbin. But that's what she was doing. So she started talking about how she generally feels dejected and so i asked him more about how why about why are you feeling dejected right now what what's going on and then she opened up to me about how she is a refugee and how in august she was asked to move out she had to move out of the hotel that she had been living in for more than two years yeah. and in that case she sort of had this really sad story about how she has ended up homeless and without the option of living anywhere else in Manchester or in the UK. Mm-hmm. Oh, so this was a really unexpected twist for you. You were interested in the Curry Mall and people's lives on the Curry Mall, this idea of people wanting to live close to their communities if maybe they had emigrated from abroad or, um, or from like a diaspora community. And you came across this, this very different story in the end. Yeah, so originally I was looking exactly for that because I was thinking it could be a good idea to maybe have a little bit of colour piece about the Curry Mall. Yeah. and how it's evolving and changing but when i looked at it from the perspective of refugee i realized that there are a few people who sort of moved to the karimal and they were in 2021 when afghan refugees had to move to the uk a lot of them started leaving the uh, hotels to come to the karimal and to have their own food to have someone who can speak their language more than whoever was in that uh, hotel and so I realized that that could be a good piece on its own. But then when I looked into it more, you got this really depressing story. Yeah. So you've been digging a bit deeper ever since those conversations with Kushba. And can, let's start at the beginning. What have politicians said that they would do to help the 8,000 plus Afghan refugees who have come to the UK since the Taliban seized Afghanistan? So, yeah. So uh, in 2021, we already heard a clip from Boris Johnson about how he was uh, looking forward to bring refugees to the UK. Um, back then, they devised two different routes for getting for Afghan refugees to come to the UK. One was for women, children, and religious minorities, and the other one was for people who had worked with the UK government while the UK was still in Afghanistan. And so brought uh, refugees, 8,000 refugees, to the UK. I think about 700 of which, more than 700 of which, lived in Manchester Mm. and the city council since then has been looking to find people housing from the hotels because the uh, hotel's idea was always a bridging idea it was always temporary it was always temporary so I think uh, Mercer uh, Johnny Mercer who's the minister of state for wetland affairs earlier in April of this year had announced that the 8,000 refugees would have to leave the hotels by August And he said that it was costing the UK government a million a day to keep these refugees in the uh, hotels. And it was becoming an unsustainable figure with the growing cost of living crisis. So in turn, he announced that the Home Office would give 250 million to the local authority housing fund, which was given to the Manchester City Council as well, where they were allowed to refurbish and buy houses for refugees. And on top of that, there was a 35 million refugee support packet, which was 
helping those who were facing evictions from their hotels. So it was all done to like subsidize for the council to buy the housing and then give refugees a rent rate subsidized so that someone can afford it easily. So that's what the start of the plan was back in uh, April. And as soon as people started writing articles about it, which also became a problem for refugees because some of them who could speak English it had the articles but did not have an eviction notice. Yeah. Meanwhile, people who hadn't, who couldn't read the articles were just being fed what they thought were rumors about having an eviction notice and having to leave the ho- yeah. hotels and no one would confirm it for them at the time. And that creates a really weird situation, right, where you hear these rumors like Chinese whispers and it creates this sort of like uncertainty and, and worry, like, did you get an idea of the kind of emotional impact that had on people like Kushberg who were facing eviction in the next few months, not knowing what the next step would be? Yeah, I think I looked into it back then as well because it was quite a weird situation to be in because you're being told on one hand that you're evicted from this place that you've been living in for two years. And on the other hand, the people who are evicting you aren't telling you that you're evicted. Mm-hmm. So uh, from the conversations I had, not only with Kushbi, but there were a couple other refugees that I'd spoken to at the time, said that they were really confused by the entire thing because they would sit in someone who is pleading, say, the MEM, looks at an article, says, oh, we're getting evicted today. Mm-hmm. We're getting evicted soon, rather. And then that sort of induced panic into them induce some sort of a numbing feeling into them Mm. and then there would be uh, workers and volunteers who were there to help the refugees employed by the Manchester City Council Mm. and the refugees would go up to these workers saying is this true is this really happening and the response that a lot of them got was we can't tell you anything because at the time it was such a confusing situation to be in or to live in that the Home Office had announced that refugees are being moved. They told the city council to start using the fund to find out where they're being used, uh, moved to. And But the city council was also told that you can't confirm it to the refugees so when we have confirmed it. So it's this really liminal space of not really knowing what has happened at all. Yeah, God, and that thing of like being told by a council worker who, who will, you know, know what, what's going on, like, we can't tell you, it's extra frustrating. Okay, so after all these weeks of uncertainty, finally on 17th of May, Kushba got some news. This is the day she was served her eviction notice, around a month after the Minister of State for Veteran Affairs announced that 8,000 Afghan refugees would be asked to leave the hotels. Um, how did Kushba re- react to, to getting her eviction notice? Uh, she explained to me the situation as if she had sort of disassociated with it Mm -hmm. so as soon as she read the eviction notice she said that she was feeling numb that she knew it was coming but it was still the worst fears of hers that had come to life Mm -hmm. and she sort of tried to rationalize with herself while she was disassociating from the topic but her explanation was that on one hand she could hear like on one side of the door she could hear someone drop down to their knees crying and then somewhere else someone else was screaming because everyone in the hotel had the eviction notice served to them at the same time Mm. and according to her the entire hotel was just panicking and just frustrated not understanding what to do but all the same time also very numb to the situation because they have now no control over where they're going to go 
And the key bit of context here, which we'll, I'll just go back to, is that the Home Office said they would offer the refugees only one option for housing. If this option was rejected, the burden would then fall on local councils who have been given these big grants from the government to buy houses for refugees and, and offer support for those affected by the eviction. So Kushbu actually rejected the first offer for housing that she got from the Home Office. Can you, can you tell us why? So Kushbu also didn't have an easy time as soon as she came to the UK. She had she was first sent to the hotel in Salford. Um, she describes that hotel just to be different to what she found in Manchester. Mm. And she always she didn't feel at home there. But then it was also the hotel in Salford that at one point got broken into by the far right. And so she remembers uh, someone walking in, banging on the doors, banging on the windows, screaming slurs at her, telling her to get out. Um, she's like, this was also the first time she said that she'd spoken to the people in her hotel room because mm-hmm. she's like, I've never spoken to them before because I'm dealing with my own trauma. Mm-hmm. That this was the first time she actually opened up to them and they were all fearful about their lives because there's just this man outside that door banging on it shouting death threats, shouting slayers, but they don't know what to do. Eventually, the council and the home office, to give credit to them, settled that down, relocated the refugees to different to different hotels, and Kushbu came to Manchester. So then, when the home office came back saying, looking for a house, uh, Kushbu told her what she wanted from her house, how much she was willing to afford, how much she could find for and. The home office immediately said, like within a day, said, oh, we have this house for you that we think would suit you. So they take her uh, to the house the next morning. They show her the house. It's clean. It's tidy. It's affordable. So Kush was happy until she looks outside the house and realizes that right opposite that house is the same hotel that she'd been racially abused in. Um, so she couldn't, she didn't feel safe in that area. And obviously no one can blame her for not feeling safe in that area. And so she had to reject that offer because she was like, I can't see myself going back to that same place. Understandably, it's where a hugely traumatic memory is. It's, you know, probably one of the most dramatic, traumatic experiences of time in England so far. Um, so she rejected that first offer for housing she got from the Home Office and that passed the buck on to Manchester City Council, who are now responsible for finding her suitable housing. Um, I guess something interesting to talk about first of all before we get on to the sort of housing offers you got from Manchester City Council and how that played out is just how did Manchester City Council respond in the first place to this this news from the Home Office that the local authority would, would suddenly be responsible for finding um, all these different people at any place to live? So uh, the person who within the City Council was in charge of finding housing for the refugees was Joanna Midgley, who happens to be the deputy leader. And she she was caught off guard by this announcement. She said it was sudden and unexpected. Uh, she extended her support. She said that she will look to help as much as she can and wherever she can and bring the bridging hotels to an end through the fund that the Manchester City Council has. But at the same time, she was also not trying to be too optimistic. She was, uh, within her statement that she'd made as soon as the announcement came, she'd said immediately that there is not enough money 
to get this through. Um, there's a lot of risk in doing this so suddenly and giving the council and everyone involved just three to four months of time to get this through. Because to the council, it was just that three to four months is not enough time to buy a house, figure out the rent, the location, who it suits, who it doesn't suit, and then give someone to rent that house. And so it's so her, she wasn't too happy about the announcement. Yeah. And there was another really crucial thing that was tying the council's hands in the situation. Can you tell us what this is? So that's a moratorium being put in place on the postcodes of M8, M9, and M40, which is mostly North Manchester. So Cromsall, Blakely, Broughton, this area. And it's been put in more than a decade ago by Graham Stinger, who's uh, the Labour MP for that area. And he does this through like, there's a part of law that says there's the Insolvency Act of 1986 and the part 1A of it says that a government body can put a moratorium in place to restrict certain activity in that area. Mm-hmm. And uh, Graham Stinger had put that more than a decade ago. Mm-hmm. But when he was asked questions about it by the council and the home office and everyone involved too, he had to, to lift the moratorium and let the council buy a house there so that they can give it to refugees. Mm-hmm. He denied. And he said that uh, the council was being, the sorry, the home office was being too secretive about their approach towards rehousing mm-hmm. Afghan refugees. So he denied that request. And so you also think of Northern Manchester as more of a cheaper place to live compared to the rest of Manchester. Mm-hmm. So the city council's hands got tied immediately because they now have this area of land which has big houses that are cheaper, but they can't buy it anymore. Yeah, this moratorium massively restricts the number of areas where the Manchester City Council can look to house these Afghan refugees. And so where did they start looking instead? So initially, uh, the city council, which was in, they had a meeting, a bubbling meeting on the 23rd of May, if I'm not wrong. And they announced that they've started looking at South Manchester. And so they started with Didsbury and went around Didsbury, so all the way to Withenshaw. And they started getting people to go wheel houses. A lot of them were obviously too expensive. So Kushbu was also shown houses in that area, but she also had the same complaint that she couldn't afford it because South Manchester is quite expensive. Then the council at the same time announced that they're going to be taking refugees on day trips to outside of Manchester. Mm -hmm. So the idea was that if Manchester is becoming too expensive, they can go to places like Crewe, to Winslow, or to other small villages, towns around Manchester that could house someone that's in a state where they can't afford housing that well. Mm -hmm. So one of the places that Kushbu was taken to was Crewe, but she also rejected that place because she feared being isolated there and the isolation came from two reasons one was that she is a lone woman so she didn't feel safe being a woman alone yeah and it just sounds like that would be incredibly lonely and at this point she's been in Manchester for two years and she's grown like in your piece there's some really lovely detail about how she's grown quite attached to being in Russia and being around many different communities people who speak her language people who cook the kind of cuisine she likes to be um, that was really where she she wanted to be, wasn't it? Yeah, so she did want to move into Manchester. She didn't, so the refugee hotels sort of set around the outsides of Manchester. Mm-hmm. She wanted to come more into the city and towards Rashram, like 
like I said before, she loved going to rush home uh, to Karimal because she could talk to people there because she had the same food as she wanted there. Mm. But then she couldn't get the same option anymore because what her explanation was that the council rejected rush home as an option because they couldn't find houses them there themselves. Mm. So they couldn't provide the correct housing that she wanted. So she couldn't have rush home. She also asked the council if anything around it would do. So the idea was that there's more side as well mm. that also has a very uh, South Asian, Middle Eastern ethnic population. So she was like, that's also good for me. But again, Mossad also is notoriously overcrowded. Mm -hmm. So she, so the council had to reject her on those bases as well. Mm -hmm. So she rejected these options from Manchester City Council, Didsbury, Withenshaw, South Manchester. They were all too expensive and crew wasn't going to be possible. So where does that leave Kushbi now? Where is, where is she now? At this point, she is homeless sitting on the Karim Hill. So uh, she couldn't find a house anywhere. She was like, the she put it all into one sentence saying they gave me a house where no where no one could speak to me then they showed me something that I can't afford what am I supposed to do in this case there's no option for me but to be homeless and that was quite a she was quite dejected when she was saying that as well and she generally just looked down at the floor while she was talking to me about when she was saying this and then she started carrying up herself backed it up put it all together, which wasn't much because she came belly with anything more than the clothes on her back. And she, on 23rd August, when she was asked to move out of the hotel, she left and she walked to Karimal and she had a sleeping bag. So she threw it over the, uh, over the tree branch on in Victoria Park. And so she just left that there and she walked towards the same uh, restaurant that she sits in front of now. Just told the employer that this is my situation. I don't have money. I don't have a house. I have nowhere to go. And the management of that restaurant responded saying we can't employ her because refugees in the UK are not allowed employment. They don't have the right to work. So he said that I can't employ you, but I can give you food and water. I can't, I can give you the bare necessities of want if you want to walk into the restaurant but uh, I can't let you work here and I can't provide you housing because that's just not legal for me to do. Yeah this is a crucial detail in the piece that Kushbu does not have the right to work in the UK. She receives 47 pounds um, 39 pence per week um, which is sort of to supplement living costs. Um, the houses she was being shown by the city council by the home office weren't appropriate or affordable for her, essentially. It, this situation just seems utterly dire. And and the sad thing is she, she's not alone either, is she? You've met others in similar situations. Yeah. So while I was on the Karimal and I was speaking to her, she introduced me to two other people. Uh, both of them, Nasim and Mohammed, both of them live on the uh, Karimal itself. And all three of them have sort of bonded over being homeless on the Karimal and uh, the way that the other two came together was that instead of living in uh, Victoria Park which has which is an area filled with trees and grass like it's a small circular park for anyone who hasn't been to Victoria Park uh, 
uh, Naveen and Mohammed moved towards the abandoned building right next to the Hardy Wells. So right next to that, there's like a huge car park that has been abandoned for as long as I've been in Manchester. I've never seen it be used. And uh, Naveen and Mohammed both felt their word was embarrassed about their current situation. So they thought that the best thing for them to do is to hide themselves. And they moved into the car park and that's where they sleep. And so that's how those two met. And then they sort of were talking in Pashto when they came across Kushbu. And so all three of them started talking to each other, started realizing that they have similar stories, similar backgrounds. And these are three of the main people who live on the Kali Mile. When I started my research on this, there were quite a few people who also don't live in Kari, on the Karimar. Mm. Some people live around other parts of Rashom, inside Rashom, towards Great Western State or within Moss Side because they feel more comfortable there. And overall, I got seven people who all felt like they were in the same situation where they couldn't afford because they came to the UK without any money. So they couldn't afford any housing. They couldn't easy lifestyle. So even the benefits that they're getting right now, they using it back into food and water. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's been a really difficult situation for them. And all seven of them do talk to each other occasionally, but they're also quite dejected in themselves from the situation that they're in. And how did Manchester City Council respond to your reporting? So uh, the City Council has initially said that they have housed almost all 700 refugees and almost all of them have offered, have been offered decent housing and have accepted accommodation. But on top of that, they also said that uh, we reject the suggestion that any accommodation offered has been outside the price range that they could meet. No one from these bridging hotels has become homeless due to the cost of rental properties offered. And anyone presenting as homeless will have already received multiple offers. So the council is more or less rejecting the fact that people were made homeless because of their monetary issues. And they suggest that it might be something else. Definitely. It, it just feels incredibly big. And, you know, Sheikha, Kushbu has lived, lived through the Taliban occupying Afghanistan. She lived through the US military having a big presence in Afghanistan. She's through various conflicts. But what are you hearing from her now about, about her life in Manchester? She just says that she's lost hope. She says that she, it wasn't within the PS, it says that it wasn't her her decision to leave Afghanistan, it was more from her father and her husband that had decided that it will be unsafe for her to stay in Afghanistan because it was because she was a working woman. And so she so she was asked to leave. But she also came from a small village in Afghanistan and she didn't have a phone. She knows the address. So she tries to send letters back home asking how they are, whether anything's happened, but she's never got a response and she doesn't know what their situation is. So currently with living on the streets, with not having any family anymore, not having even the sort of family she had in the hotels were right next to her, living in the same room as her, she's questioning whether coming to England was even better than staying in Afghanistan because she at least had someone who had her back all the time there. Yeah. It's incredibly, it's an incredibly sad story. Um, Shika, thank you so much for joining us. 
Um, to read more about the story and its developments, please do head to manchestermill.co.uk slash subscribe. Um, you'll be able to join us as a paying subscriber and get full access to all of Shika's great investigative reporting on this topic. I'm sure it's one we'll be returning to in the next few weeks. Um, plus, you'll be able to read our entire back catalogue of stories on the mill. Um, for now, thank you for being here with us this week. And thanks for being here with me, Shika. Thank you. Good to have you. And we will see you next week.